was just reading this book before I came over, and there's just a little section here that I want to share with you. It says, um, it's talking about um, peace. It's, it's, it's talking about shalom, okay? Um, and it says, this webbing together of God, humans and all creation, justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than the peace of mind or ceasefire over enemies. As a matter of fact, the area over the two armies declared a ceasefire may be acres of smoldering ruin. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. Wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in the natural sea needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed under the arch of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. And I think that's awesome because I've just been sharing recently in my church, what does your end product look like? You know, as a Christian, you know, we've been, I've been on a journey, uh, been a Christian all my life, brought up in a, a beautiful Christian home, and um, been in church all my life, but it's only just of late that I've really come to see what my end product looks like, and if shalom is it, I'm okay with that. I, I want his delight. I want his love, his overarching love in my life. So I thought I'd just share that, just, um, just with what you were sharing this morning, just what the songs that you were bringing out, just incredible. So I just felt I should read that. Is that cool? Awesome. Hey, um, yeah, my name's Bruce Whitley, and uh, I've just shared a little bit. I'm, I've been a Christian all my life. Um, I, I never thought to be a pastor. That was the last thing on my mind. I've seen pastors come and go, and it's a tough job. But um, my dad took over the church that uh, has been established in Gisborne for about 70 years, and uh, it's actually 75 years now. And um, he was getting a little bit old, and he said, boy, you need to take over the reins. And I said, uh, no thanks. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, you've got to do it. So um, just, uh, it was interesting because just before um, this happened, our church was going through a real turmoil. Uh, there was internal um, sort of structure problems and people just fighting and, and bickering, and it was just difficult. And so I said to my dad, one night I said, listen, I'm, I'm clocking out. Um, I've had enough of this. This is not how church should be. And uh, he said, no, no, just, just hang in there, boy. Just hang in there, boy. And um, then ultimately um, he sort of handed the reins. I know now why he told me to hang on. But, um, you know, what it did was it, it changed the paradigm for the church. And um, I think we've um, really grown. And actually um, Sharon and Phil, I call them Sharon. I mean, sort of uh, Phil and Timothy because Sharon follows me around everywhere. Um, but... Um, just been great to have them as, a, as an amazing support for us in our assembly. And uh, we're here by virtue of their generosity. Um, when you come for the visit, uh, Sharon uh, went home and then came back and said, you've got to go. You've got to go over there. And she says, I'm paying for it. So just thank the Lord for his blessing there to, to, get, to bring us here and to be able to share with you today. Um, I'm married, yes, with Michelle. She's my current wife. And... Um, <laughs> I've got seven children, um, three of them live here in, in Aussie land, and I've got some others back in, in New Zealand, and uh, I have um, three grandchildren here in Australia, so we do get back regularly, um, so as I share with you today, one of the things that probably define a, a, a good speaker is the invitation to come back, 
So if I don't get invited, I don't know how bad I am, but if, if you invite me back, that's cool. Um, and um, yes, we, we pastor two churches, actually, one in Gisborne and one in Wairau, which is um, another hour south of Gisborne. And uh, we took that church over two years ago as my, my cousin at the time had terminal cancer. And um, of course, Wairau is quite a small town, and they couldn't get anyone to take it on. So we just thought that we would help. And, um, and I think that's sort of where the heart um, is. If you're willing to help people, um, God just opens doors, doesn't he? And so I think um, that's sort of a little bit about my message today. And I'm going to get um, Michelle and um, Sharon to come up a little bit later um, in my message just to share a few things about an organization that we're involved with quite heavily in, in Gisborne. It's called Tahahi. And Tahahi in Tereo means the church. All right. And it's a group of churches um, associated in Gisborne that come together looking after uh, victims of domestic violence. Um, which is quite a big problem in our region, and just helping support community and police. And so we get refer referrals that come to, you know, sort of uffy them, pray for them, uh, feed them, whatever it is there is, and um, I'll get Michelle to share a little bit about that. But what I'd like to share with you, and I, I, there was a reason I, I sort of asked um, Ben, the, you know, what, what he'd like me to speak on, because I do see pastors come and go, and they come in, and they, they, they sort of come in as a whirlwind and uh, get everybody rolled up, and then they leave, and then it's left to the pastor to deal with the, the, the damage. So I didn't really want to stray too much away from what you've been sharing and, and, and speaking on. And um, it was um, really interesting, because when you said uh, Romans 12, I thought you said John 12, so I've got it completely wrong. But <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. So if you've got your Bibles with you, as I know you all have, because Ben said you fellows are full-on Christians and, um, and uh, everybody reads their Bible every day. So turn to us, uh, to, to Romans chapter 12, and verse 16 is the one that he asked me to, to, to read and to share on. And uh, if you've got your Bibles there, live in peace and harmony. Isn't it amazing that that word peace is there? Live in peace and harmony with each other. Don't be proud, arrogant, or haughty. Make friends with those that seem unimportant. Associate with the humble, those with low social status. Be willing to do the lowest, lowest tasks. And do not think how smart or wise or superior you are. Now, I've used the Amplified version there just to bring a little bit of uh, sort of substance to that verse. And it's very self-explanatory, so my sermon is finished. No, that's not how it works, is it? Because, see, this verse uh, sits in Romans chapter 12, funnily enough. And um, as you've been going through, you've been learning the structure of Romans chapter 12 and, and what Paul was trying to, to say here. And for me, as, as a pastor, I, I love neighborhood. And when I speak of neighborhood, I mean what's, what's been said around this verse that makes it so critical. Is it critical? It's a good question. Is it a critical scripture? I think it is. Because as we go through it, um, we look at the neighborhood. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after the, and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed. Who wants to be transformed? Have I got a church that's sitting here today that wants to be transformed? It's so important. Be changed by the entire renewal of your mind 
by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who wants to know that? That's the huge question that many Christians are. What is God's will for my life? I was expecting an amen there, but that's okay. You, you guys will you'll warm up a little bit. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Do you know God's got an amazing purpose for you guys? Amazing purpose for this church, but amazing purpose for individuals. God is such a loving God that he loves, he's madly, madly in love with every single one of you in a personal relationship. And he wants to fulfill his purpose and his will in your life. And we need to know that. We need to know what that looks like. So when Paul was, was trying to express this, who was he speaking to? In this, this passage of Scripture. He's talking to a church. But he's talking to a Roman church. Because it's called Romans. So it's sort of a bit of a giveaway, really, isn't it? So he's talking to the Roman church. He's not talking to unbelievers here. It's very important to understand that. He's talking to a church, a, a body, all right? Who's part of the body? We all are. So when we're trying to understand this verse, it's all about understanding the context in which Paul is speaking. So we can just look at the age and the attitudes and the customs that Paul was talking about and he was concerned about because he was preaching it. Because, see, if you understand the ancient world, that Paul was involved with, the Roman Empire, it was all about power. Okay? So we've got to understand that when we're reading the Scripture, that there are forces that are, that are working towards establishing maximum power. And they knew this because they'd invaded Israel. They'd overtaken it. They'd conquered it. But see... It was also about self-ambition. You've got to understand of, of the process that uh, was, was set up in this particular culture. See, self-ambition was a virtue of this community. Self-ambition was a virtue. Political standing and honor was the commerce of the day. And, and in fact, it was actually purchased. The richer you were, the more honor, the more power that you received. So as we look at what Paul is saying here, if I can give you a metaphor that describes what this um, culture was, it was called climbing the ladder. All right? So they were all about climbing the ladder. Everything you did to advance your status and community was all about to get up that ladder. Actually, even a gift, say I was, you know, coming up to Ben here and I said, Ben, here's a gift, my brother. And he would say, just hang on a minute. What's the alternative motive here? Because see, when you gave a gift to someone, then they were indebted to you. So as I gave that gift to him, now Ben is indebted to me because I'm going to call on Ben because he, he knows some very influential people. And so I can now use that leverage to push myself up that ladder. That's the culture of the day. And listen, today is no different. Look into your communities today. 
What's it all about? Getting up the ladder. Getting to the place of honor and prestige, isn't it? So Paul's insight to what was going on in that day is just reflected today because the spirit is exactly the same. Humbleness and humility was a vice, not a virtue in this ancient world. Strength and dominion were celebrated. Can you understand the culture that Paul is preaching against? See, because if we look at this ladder that I'm talking about, who was the top? It was the Caesars, right? And then it went to his family. Then it went to the Senate. Then it went to the government. Then it went to the, the hired servants. Then it went to the, the um, sort of like the unpaid servants. Then it went to the animals, horses, you know, and then it went to slaves. Slaves were a commodity, just like, say, a bottle of milk. Use it, get rid of it. And so what Paul is trying to get us to see in this verse is very intense. Because, see, Jesus came along, and he spoke a different language. He spoke a different message. Do you realize when Jesus came along, he was radical? He was radical. Early in his ministry, he sat up on the mountain, and he, and he began to give a, a message. And inside this message was the Beatitudes. Have you read the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in her. Blessed are those that are persecuted. And they're sitting there and thinking, what is he on? Is this guy on, on drugs? What is he talking about? How can we be blessed if we're meek? That goes against the culture of the day. That goes against the culture that we're involved with. Isn't it great that we serve a radical Jesus? I love it because, see, we as Christians today have to become radical in our thinking. See, when Jesus came, he showed a different way. And I, and I, I want to build some, some context around it. See, because he came to show a new way. He came to show a new truth. And he came to show a new life. If you've got your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, again in the Amplified Version. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God, and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of all the attributes which make up God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but he stripped himself of all the privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a slave. Wow. 
Where's Jesus? He's at the bottom of the ladder. See, he reversed the trend. As they were trying to get up, he comes down. And actually the miracle of God, Christ's condescension is something that is just so awesome to behold. Why on earth would you bother to come down to that place where you're just a commodity? And this is Jesus. He's doing it. That he, he became like men and was born a human being. And after that he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried out his obedience to the extreme death. It cost him his life. Radical. Even the death of the cross. I think this is amazing because Jesus, he headed in the opposite direction on the ladder. He comes down, he condescends from a position of power He was the most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and he condescended. And there's only one driver in this, his love for you and for me. One driver. Wow. He removes himself from the position of power to being one who serves as a slave. Here's the question. Here's the question I want you all to ask yourself. Which way are you climbing? Which way are you climbing today? Huh? Up or down? And that's my message today. Up or down? You with me? So when Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this age, fashioned after or adapted to its external superficial customs, look around the world today. What are the drivers? What are the drivers that are driving people to to make some crazy decisions just to look right? Just to, to look right in community just to stand um, on the street and and look great. I saw a guy driving a Ferrari yesterday. I say, bless that man, God. He's got a Ferrari. But see, what is he putting aside? Or which way is he climbing to be where he is? Are we? Going up or down? Paul himself had had a radical transformation. Do you realize he was climbing the ladder? Because if you understand Paul, he was. Philippians 3, 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If there's anyone that can boast about who he is, it's me. I've climbed the ladder, and I am now the Hebrew of Hebrews. 
But in that radical transformation where Christ met him and blinded him with a light that he could not contain and changed his mindset completely, radically changing the culture and the shift in his heart and mind to a guy that was climbing up the ladder, turned him around and sent him right back down. And indeed, verse 18, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered loss of all things. He was willing to lose the status, the position, the money, the accolades. Why? He counted them but dung or rubbish that he may gain Christ. Because I'm telling you now, you won't gain him any other way. You must lose everything to gain him. Radical, isn't it? What is it to gain Christ? To follow him, to be like him, to act like him. Gain Christ is to be him here on earth. You've been all called to be his witnesses today. The witnesses of the attitude and culture that Christ brought. Not of this world, but of his world. So as we unpack this verse, you know, we went to a um, particular uh, seminar just recently with a, a theologian. Any theologians in the, in the, the meeting? Theologians are amazing because he did an exegesis on, on um, John 3. You know, John 1, 2, and 3. And if you've ever read John 3, I think there's only 12 verses or something. And so he did this exegesis on the whole of leadership in the church. Just from that small portion of Scripture, uh, it just blew me away. And it's amazing that this one verse has, has so much potential to radical, radicalize and transform your mind and your attitude towards Christ. Verse 16, live in peace and harmony with, e with each other. Remember, he's talking to the church. So if he's saying that we are to live in peace and harmony, there is a possibility that it's not. Maybe we don't have peace and harmony. So there's an encouragement for us to move in that direction. If you read a few verses um, uh, sort of earlier, it says, we are all one body. I was expecting an amen there too. But that's okay. We're all one body. Wow. Individual members, one of another. And as the result of this word, one another, where when it becomes a revelation to you, it will, uh, it will actually yield the fruit of peace and harmony. You see, because when Jesus comes, he's coming back in the flesh, right? And he's called the living word, right? We have written word, right? We can speak the word, right? Are we living the word? That's the question. 
because he, he, he just doesn't want us to, to um, have it in written form. He doesn't want us just to speak it. He wants us to live it. So when we look at this living in harmony and, and um, as individual members, you know, living together one, one for another, I call it one anothering. It's one anothering, and actually, this one another is mentioned 100 times in the New Testament. I think there's a message there. If it's mentioned 100 times, there's a message there for us. I think he's trying to ram my message home, actually. <laughs> See, God has called us into a body. We're all individual. We know that. And you've probably heard many messages on, on how the body works. There's a thumb and, and there's a nose and there's an ear. You've heard it all before, right? But see, a body is a community. See, because God didn't just come to save the church. He saved everyone. He ain't coming back to heal those and to deliver those, and to redeem those that are not in church. He's done that. They are redeemed. Huh? You've got to get the focus right. We're in community, and he gave us a commission. And the commission was, stay home, look after yourself, and keep your head down. Is that what Jesus said? Maybe I've got a different. Um... Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples of every single one of them. Now, if Jesus didn't realize that that culture was going to be a problem, he would have just said, just go to the, you know, the, the nation that you're dealing with. No, he said, go ye out into all the world. You're going to be affected by culture. But with this radical transformation of your mind, it's not going to affect you. Right? Because you know what your purpose is. You know what the perfect will of God is for your life. You with me? So we need to be in community. We also need relationship. See, go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel and then making disciples of them. There's the relationship aspect. You cannot make a disciple of someone when you say, listen, I'm, I'm going to pray for you to go through the sinner's prayer and then catch you later, which I see many people do. And I just, my heart goes out to that. Because see, once you become born again, that's just the beginning. There's a journey. We're, like I've been on a journey for 55 years like 50 years, maybe. <laughs> Too many gray hairs to start telling lies. I was born again when I was 13 years old. In fact, I got born again in Wairau, in the church that I'm now pastoring, which is really freaky. But, you know, this thing is, is about relationship. We're all in relationship. We're a family. That's why I love just coming here this morning, we're home. We're home. I, I don't care where we go. I might be international, but I'm home. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. 
I love you, even though I don't know you, but I'm happy to, to start a relationship and just get to know you guys. See, we've known Nigel and Selena pretty much, what, 40 years, maybe, maybe longer. Selena used to have the flat at the, the back of our house. She lived with us. And so I've known them. We've been in relationship. It doesn't matter where we go. We're just brothers and sisters helping one another to get where God wants us to be. Relationship is really important. But with that, people are difficult. <laughs> Someone told me church is easy if there was no people in them. And I believed them. Some of those difficulties come because of the vast differences that we have. We're very different. In fact, probably someone sitting right next to you, you're still trying to work out the differences. But see, there's a, there's a, there's a, a particular thing that God wants us to understand. One anothering. Turn to the person next to you and say, one anothering. Now turn to the person you don't like on the other side and say, one another in. You weren't so, supposed to be so open about that. See, sometimes these differences can seem insurmountable. And as a pastor, you see them. I've had people come and see me about the most craziest things. We're, we're you know, on the spectrum miles apart. But because we want another, as a pastor, you, you just try and find common ground and keep moving forward because we're about supporting one another. Relationships are paramount in the body. You cannot do this walk on your own. God designed it that way. He designed us to be together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, more so as we see the day approaching. Who can see the day approaching? Come on. It's gathering momentum, and I'm not even going to go down that track tonight, today. See, and when those differences start to split, do you realize that churches split sometimes? Why? Is is that the example that Jesus was setting? Is that the desire that Paul was talking about when he gave us this verse? When we should be in harmony together. It's not what God intended. Never. Because he wants us in community. He wants us in relationships. And he created us, each of us, differently. Not so that we would ignore and dislike one another, but we would get together and do the one anothering together. And the amazing thing that comes from one anothering is blessing. Is blessing. Remember the Beatitudes? When we are able to live this way, we will begin to see the hallmarks of a true Christian community. Can I see and say today 
I saw that here when I came in, the hallmarks of that community. But do we still have issues? Do we still have problems? Yeah, we do. But let's work through those. The body working, moving, praying, and in relationship together. Harmony is one of the marks that God desires in the Christ-like community that should be the witness to what's going on out in the world. Despite our differences, we're living together with the same mindset toward one another, the same mindset that Christ had. Put this mind that was also in Christ Jesus, that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but see, then he humbled himself and became like a servant. I'm just going to invite Michelle and Sharon up at the moment because, see, I want them just to talk a little bit about Tahahi because we spoke to, to Ben and Julie when they were there about Tahahi and how important Tahahi is in our community because there's some amazing things happening. And I know that that's their heart. He just doesn't want to see this body. He wants to see the whole body. That's a vision. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Thanks, Dean. Kia ora, everyone. <laughs> that was so cute. So, um, sorry. So this says, Ehara takutoa. I te toa takitahi, engare he toa, toa takitini. And that means success is not the work of one, but the work of many. So the organisation that we are currently, our church is currently um, really involved with, and that's Tehahi, which as Pastor Bruce says means the church, or actually means the faith. So what we've done is we've gathered a, um, a group of churches together. Now we're from all different denominations. We have the Assemblies of God, we have the Baptist Church, we, you know, we have the Seventh-day Adventists, and I won't go on and on, but, and what we've done is we've come together as community. We've actually come together as the body of Christ. So that's why we've called it Tahahi, because it means the faith. So the only, the only thing that has been glorified in that name is the name of Jesus. So what we do is we go out into the community and we serve the community together, and we work together, uh, working with, uh, with a, um, families affected by uh, domestic violence, which is a really, um, unfortunately, that's one of the statistics in Gisborne that we're not very proud of because we have the one of the highest rates in New Zealand. And when we started out um, with doing Tahahi, we thought, yep, well, we'll get in behind the police and we'll work in the community and we're doing all of that. But you know what? The, the picture of Tehahi has become even greater, and that is that the body of Christ is working together. You see, so many, so many times that we want to, we want to put our name of our church, not not particularly our church, but uh, of our church, and we we put the name. Oh, you know, it's this church, it's that church. You see, and the only person that's been glorified is the pastor and his church. The name of Jesus has not been glorified in this and so the encouragement that I have for you each of you this morning is that when your beautiful church is working in community I love what that you've got a community kitchen on on Wednesday night and I'd love to be able to come and and just serve 
And that is just to be able to be with other like-minded Christians. Because the word actually says, behold, how pleasant and how good it is. When brethren, the Lord is talking about brethren, our brothers and sisters, that you know what happens? He commands a blessing in that. You see, it's not an option. There's not an option in that scripture. He commands it. And I'm not going to argue with God, are you? Yeah? So that's what we do. And that's what we, you know, I, I love what you're doing here. I love the church that you're working in community. You know, we, we already heard about all of you before we even got here. We, even before um, the lovely um, Julie, I'll say the lovely Julie, and Ben came to... to <laughs> And the lovely Ben. Uh, before they even came to see us, we'd already heard about the amazing things that's going on in this community. And so I just thank the Lord for the opportunity that we've got. So I just encourage you, you know, carry on doing what you're doing. Carry on serving those that, you know, people don't really want to associate with. You know, I work for... Um, my job is actually, I do work for Tahahi part-time, but I also work for the homeless shelter. So I just administrate for them. I don't do a lot of on-the-ground work, but I just, I just thank the Lord for people like Pastor Tom and Josie who are working, because they're working with people that no one else wants to, you know? And I just love what's happening here. So thank you for having us here this morning. Don't go. Don't go and leave me. Hi, my name's Sharon. Um, I've been helping with Michelle for, in Tahahi for about the last seven years. We've been getting together and um, I'm on part of, on our church committee, which we all meet um, once every two weeks, the committee do, and just organise what we're going to do and what's happened with the police during that time. And um, the police come to us with a lot of different things. We have now just moved out of just giving food parcels. Now they want us to help young men who don't drive, you know, like have been driving without licences, and so they end up going to jail because they, they keep getting caught over and over again for driving without um, licences. So now we're, they want us to start a programme where we can take them through the driving test and get them get their licences, and then they will wipe their whole um, fines that they have got behind them so and then the police came to us and they um oh no sorry that wasn't the police this time a school came to us now we've got a couple of schools in Gisborne who are very um they live over in the areas where all this um family harm happens and the kids quite often during the night have seen family harm so when they come to school if they do come to school they are quite traumatized and so we've started what we call a granny um, granny and granddads, so they go over to the school and there's a room there that's been set aside for them and um, the granny and granddads, they just stay there and if there's children, um, the teacher will bring them in and the grannies might just uppy them, which is love them, or give them a, um, read them a story or teach them how to bake. So it's been really, it's, it's actually... Um, gone on from leaps and bounds actually it's only been going a few months and it's gone on leaps and bounds and they've started inviting the grannies and granddads to things that are going on in the school as well so they've sort of become their grandparents and so that's been a real blessing for us too um, you know it's it's made a real difference in my life um, being able to serve my community um, you know before you just went to church didn't do much 
But now that this is happening, this tahahi's happening, we want to serve, and we want to serve those people who really need us, you know, and it's not about us, it's about those people that really need us. Um, so I think that's probably what I've got to say. Yes, and um, as Michelle alluded to, the fact that um, as, as a group of churches, um, just the unity that it's bringing within the churches um, is just phenomenal. And uh, we gather regularly, we pray together, we, we have services together, we worship together, and it, it's so good. And um, the, the comments that are coming back is we need more of this, we need more of this. Because it's, it's what God wants. Come on. And that's why he's blessing it. And I, I believe this is... The, the launch pad. I'm, I'm in the launch pad right here. Isn't it great? You see, because we don't have to agree with everything that, that you do. We just have to follow the spirit that, that Paul is trying to get across here. The, the message that Paul is trying to, to set here. The pattern that Jesus set. And, and there's, there's someone that can help us through this journey. Jesus said, listen, I've got to go. But I'm going to send you back the guy, the guy that will lead you along this journey. And that's the Spirit. And see, the Spirit becomes your best friend in this journey. Because see, we, we can um, walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit, but He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants us to not just sort of understand, He wants us to do it. And this is where the big problem is with many churches, is that people are saying, Lord, send me tomorrow or the next day or when I'm ready have we got a church here that is ready to go see because he wants us to live in harmony and peace with one another and I, and I love Jesus' example you know he, he chose 12 men to help him out he didn't do it himself could he do it done himself absolutely I don't need anyone else I can do this all myself but he chose 12 men to help him. He was showing us a principle because the second part of this, this verse 16 is, do not be proud, arrogant, or haughty. I've shown you, a man, what is good and what I require of you to do justly, do the right thing, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's a simple life, isn't it? It's a simple walk. God humbles the proud and gives grace to the humble. That sounds like a blessing to me. That sounds like a blessing. Can I tell you in the ancient world, that wouldn't be the verse of the day. Humbleness and humility was not the vice was the vice, sorry, not the virtue of that world. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Can I tell you, we do that, but we use sometimes humility like a shirt. Well, this one looks nice today. I'll throw that one on. And then we don't like to be humble, so we'll take it off and discard it. Can I tell you that this word clothe yourself, it means like attach it to yourself. Tie it onto yourself so it becomes part of you. 
literally tie it on there so it don't come off. See, because humility doesn't come naturally to us. As in the ancient world, we by nature, we're full of ourselves. We give way to pride and haughtiness and we build up a very high opinion of ourselves. Humility is something we must put on. Something that we must tie on to ourselves. It's part of Christ's clothing. It's part of the righteous clothing that he wants to clothe us with. The word humility here contains the idea of being lowly or insignificant. But Peter isn't telling us to have a poor self-esteem or lack self-confidence. It's just calling us to have the correct opinion of ourselves. Okay? So if anyone has um, self-esteem issues or, or struggling there, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is have a correct opinion of yourself. See, pride and low self-esteem have something in common. They both focus on something. Me. Myself and I. True humility is not thinking about yourself in the first place. It's thinking of the other person first. What we think, what we want, and what we feel is the most important thing. When all we want to put our opinions and feelings first, we will never have harmony. Because that picture is the complete opposite to what Jesus was. Because when Jesus came, he didn't need to come for himself. He was sinless. He was undefiled. He was separate from sin. He did not have to go this journey. But guess who he's thinking of? <laughs> guess who he was thinking of? You and me. Amazing. See, but we need to be transformed. We need to change um, by the entire renewal of our mind. And it's new ideals and new attitude that we may prove for yourselves what is good and acceptable and what is per the perfect will of God. God's will for us is what I call a, a, a kataboli. It's, it's a Greek word. It means an overturn. It's like a complete flip over. When, when Satan was cast from, the earth, uh, from heaven to the earth, it was described as a kataboli. So that's how strong a word we're trying to use. God wants harmony. He wants to overturn our behavior and our character. It's huge. It's a paradigm shift. And as we were talking about the latter scenario, as it establishes our status, our privilege, our prestige, it is the opposite to Christ. And I, I was talking to a gentleman just a few weeks ago, and he said, we serve a faceless Jesus. And my heart mounted. 
We serve a faceless Jesus. Do you know why? Because it's said that he was without form. He wasn't a, a nice looking guy that we should desire him. He was just a simple guy that showed us the way. And we serve a faceless Jesus. We're not doing it because of how good he looks. We went to a church once and they said, come along to our church because my husband, he's hot. He's going to be speaking today. It didn't mean a lot to me, but it might have done for my wife. But see, we serve a faceless Jesus. It's not about how he looks and not about what status he has. It's not about where he sits and not about what he wears. It's just because of his heart. And he wants us to have his heart. You with me? But see, Jesus didn't have self-esteem issues. He didn't lack self-confidence. But he completely focused on what others needed before himself. And man, he did the journey. He went all the way. He died. He lost his life for you and me. But what a blessing. What a blessing he received because he rose triumphant. Now he's seated on the right hand of the Father, far above any principality, power, might, or dominion. No one can touch him. See, that's the blessing. Lose it all to gain it all. And as I was putting this, this message together, my, my, my dad, when I was a young Christian, he said, boy, you need to buy Fox's Book of Martyrs. What? What's that? So I bought it and I read it. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Why? Because they were faceless. But they stood for Jesus. They stood for Jesus. And I love this because, see, we sit here today in our comfort. We sit here in our, in our, in our beautiful surroundings because of them. Because they declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not renounce the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saved me and I will not renounce that. And so they were burnt at the stake. They were pulled asunder. They were thrown to lions. Come on. Blessed are they that are persecuted. And Jesus and God said to them, I'm going to give you a better resurrection. So on the day when Jesus returns, guess who's going to be first? All those that stood up for him and said, I will not renounce. Come on. Go and buy a copy today and read it. It's hard going. But I feel many churches today disregard and don't count the value of those people very much at all. No consideration. We need to consider those people. Do not be proud, arrogant, or haughty. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is a biggie. How much time have I got? I might have to come back. Submit to one another. How many messages are, are sort of brought over our pul pulpit today about submitting to one another? You see, in the biblical world, 
for submission, it paints a beautiful picture because it means to line up under someone. The Greek word is huputasio. And the word was used in the Roman army. I'll read it to you. The military term means to arrange the troops and divisions in military fashion under the control of one commanding leader. Who's our commanding leader? See, so what we do is we, we line up willingly behind one another to be obedience to that one sovereign leader. When soldiers took up that place, they assumed their given roles and they allowed their army to function efficiently and effectively as one. That's why the Roman army was so strong. No one had ever seen that before. Where they lined them up in, in lines, um, one after the other, and there was just one goal. Guess what it was? Victory. The Caesar would be standing there and say, don't you ever come back unless you become a victor. That was the mindset. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had an army of God that functioned efficiently and effectively as one? Where we all lined up behind one another and supported one another and become one anothering towards one another and moved as God wanted us to move. What would that army look like? Submission is not the force to put someone into compliance. It is willing to place yourself into a position for the good of the whole. Submission is made up of two words. Sub, which means under, and mission. True? Submission. Now, if you go and read Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about wives. And husbands. Being in submission to one another. And see, I, I hear this all the time. My wife, she's got to be in submission to me. And I say, what's your mission? What's your mission that she needs to come under? If it's not Christ-like, if it's not Christ-motivating, if it's not Christ uh, moving forward, I'm not interested. So wives, when your husbands come and say to you, you need to be in submission, the first question you ask, what's the mission? When we willingly submit, willingly line ourselves up behind each other, we can have harmony on the mission that Christ has given us. The one true leader. Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel. Although we're individual in our, in our courses, everybody has purpose. 
I have an 84-year-old man who's a pastor in our church who's still going out, traveling around New Zealand, ministering the gospel. And we support him 100%. We're in submission to that man. Why? Because he's got a great mission. He just wants to influence people with the gospel of Christ. How much submission do we see in the body of Christ today? Struggle to see it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter, you know, carries on from Ephesians. Finally, all of you, finally means this is it. All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Love as family. Love as whānau, as they say in New Zealand. Be compassionate and humble. Peter's not saying here to live in harmony with those that have the same opinion as you or the ones that you like to hang out with. He's saying live in harmony with one another. All of you, with all the differences, your beautiful uniqueness and individuality, live in harmony. Live in harmony. Don't be proud. Number three, make friends with those who seem unimportant, unimportant of low social status and be willing to do the lowly tasks. I have... People in my church that have come to see, see to me, I, I, I want to be in the leadership. I said, cool, jump on the cleaning list. No, I don't want to do the cleaning list. I just want to be in leadership. Make friends with those. Remember, he's talking to the church here. Make friends with those that seem unimportant. We need to have a culture in our churches that, you know, the person that cleans the toilet is just as important the person standing holding the microphone. Come on. The person that's just picking up old people before church is just as important as the person that's leading worship. There is no unimportant people in church. We're all important. And just as you know, the message was given when you see the rich man come into the, the service. Come on, come down to the best seats. They're nice and soft over here. And then we see the beggar that walks in the back with the tattered clothes. Oh, you go and sit down over there somewhere. Keep us, you know, keep it out of sight and mind. Is that the way church should be? No. When you see the broken, when you see the desperate, when you see them, bring them up the front and just pamper the heck out of them. Because they're important. You know, when, when Paul was talking through, through his, his messages, you know, some, of, some commentators, they get offended by this because he thought that, you know, he was sanctioning slavery because he said to the slaves, you must obey your masters. But if they understand the big picture that Paul is talking about, you're the slave. 
So obey the masters. Obey those that have the rule and authority over you. Because it's submission. It's a principle. And, and I'm sure that when, when Paul was writing this message, he knew that two-thirds of the general population in this, this um, Roman Empire, two-thirds of the population were slaves. So there was a, a massive chunk of society that was completely out of the picture. And these slaves were faceless, voiceless people. And it was interesting because the early Christians, Christ and the early Christians, the ones that began to first acknowledge them. Like Jesus at the well, what a beautiful story. Goes and visits the, the Samaritan woman. Should never have been there. Even the disciples were questioning his, his motives. What are you doing? But he went to those that were outcast. He went to those that were in the back streets. He went those to, like, to the tax collectors that were just like the dirt of society. And guess what? He made a relationship with them. Two words from 1 Peter chapter 3 that we read earlier. Sympathy and compassion. Be sympathetic, be compassionate. And if I asked you what the meaning of those, you could probably tell me that from a headspace. But in context of what they mean, it's from the gut. Because see, let me explain. In the, the word compassion comes from the word that literally means to strengthen from the spleen. It refers to the puku. That's stomach and tariya. Puku. So have you ever heard the statement, I had a gut feeling? That's where it comes from. So w w when, you, when you are seeing people and, and you're trying to be, you know, sort of, Sympathetic and compassionate comes from your gut. It's a, it's a feeling. And, and I, I see Christ in this, in this appeal. When he was in the garden. Man, did he have a gut feeling then? Hey? He was sweating great drops of blood. He, he was... You, the sympathy and the, the compassion that was pouring out of that man was something immense. If this cup can pass from me, let it be so, Lord. But not my will, but yours. That's the ultimate thing. The old King James Version says, bowels of compassion. Have you read that? And we don't normally associate bowels with compassion, do we? but that you're trying to communicate. It's coming from deep. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a hello goodbye. It's a, it's a relationship thing. That's what Jesus was expressing. Can I read a quote to you? True compassion means not only feeling another's pain, 
but also being moved to help to relieve it. God, that's Christ in a nutshell. He knew the problem. He said, yeah, no, I know your problem's very, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, awesome. But he was moved to relieve it. And the garden is the plea. With compassion, one becomes courageous. Jesus had to be courageous to go where he was going to go. Compassion brings triumph when attacked. It brings security when maintained. In other words, sympathy means to suffer with. To suffer with. And many of us in our, you know, sort of situations, we're okay to, you know, sort of take the easy road and say, yeah, bro, we'll pray for you. But do we really take the time to get it down here and suffer with them? It's called one anothering. The old quote, put yourself in their shoes. It gets the idea, but it's, it's more than that. It's genuinely feeling and trying to feel the experience they're going through. How does it feel for them? How do they see it? How do they feel where they are? You've got to go there. Just as Paul tells us in another place that, you know, to know him in the power of his resurrection is a great thing, but you've got to be conformable unto his death. You've got to feel it. You've got to feel it. And there's something about people suffering together. People who felt a common experience that binds them together, no matter what their differences are. I've got a picture up there of, of the fires in Adelaide. You know, there's a, there was a binding together. All those that were affected, was, was the whole area affected by those? And, and everybody came together and they were praying and, and you know, resources were being sent. We've just been through um, Cyclone Gabriel. We weren't sure whether we were actually going to be able to get here because the road that we needed to travel was shut for a week. And so, you know, devastation, but the community came together. But is it community that's supposed to be the example? church community, yes, to be that example. It binds us together, no matter what those differences are. Nearly there, guys. Are you with me? My team, they're okay because they know I go on. It's what the church should be. It's what the body should have, sympathy and compassion for one another. And we can create this harmony that Paul is asking us to experience and it will reunite us regardless of whatever anything else sends to divide us. What unites us is greater than that which wants to divide us. Come on. What unites us is far stronger than anything that wants to divide us. The one Lord 
that died for us, the one faith that saves us, the one baptism that joins us all to Christ's death and fills us with the Spirit, the one God whose plan and purpose is guiding the whole thing under the banner of His amazing love. Number four, do not think how smart, how wise, and how superior you are. Or if you're into um, psychology, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, I'll explain it to you. The Dunning-Kruger effect is the type of cognitive cognitive basis in which people believe they are smarter and more capable than they are. Essentially, the lower ability people do not possess the skills needed to recognize their own incompetence. The combination of poor self-awareness and low cognitive ability lends them to overestimate their capabilities. Anyone like that this morning? Don't want to see your hands. You see, in the ancient societies that we're talking about, what Paul was experiencing, see where their military skill um, has been exalted, um, where their, their, um, their abilities were an object of worship, those with greater strength, those that, you know, were, were set up as um, amazing warriors, made them proud. Have you ever seen the movie Troy? There was an amazing guy in that movie. His name was Achilles. Achilles. And so he got so indulged in himself because he was so puffed up that he went to war by himself. Guess what happened? Pride comes before a fall. See, pride and faith were bitter enemies of this world that Paul was talking about. And can I tell you that almost the warrior-like sort of structure today is intelligence. If you're intelligent, you'll make it in this world. You'll get supported, you'll go up the ladder, you'll reach where you need to go. But of those that probably not on that same plane, don't worry about them, they'll find their own level. Can I give you a passage of scripture that I will finish with today? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to read two passages, 18 to 20 and 26 to 27. Because, see, God doesn't treat anyone differently. He values every single person, irrelevant of your status, of your intellect, of your wealth, and what you're wearing. He says, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness. They don't get it. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? It has no place in God's kingdom. Because the best understanding, the best wisdom that you can ever have is revelation. And see, as I was mentioning earlier, the written word is great. The spoken word is great. But living word is revelation. Because you're living the very word that you see and speak. And that's what God wants. So he says in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren. Here it is. You're listening. You're hearing a calling. It says, How? That not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty men, not many noble are called. Why? Because they think they're smart. They think they're superior. And they think they're wise. They have the Dunning-Kruger effect, unfortunately. He says, but God, listen to this. this. This melts me because I come from this place. God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. I left school the moment I turned 15. I hated school. I'd never read one book before I left school. I'd start, but I'd get sick of it. It was boring. I didn't have much of an education. So why am I standing here today speaking to you from all the things that are in my heart? Because I realize that doesn't matter to God. He just wants me to speak His gospel. He just wants me to go out into the world and preach it and make disciples, build relationship and make people understand that God doesn't care about status. He doesn't care about how you look. He doesn't care about how intelligent you are. He doesn't care how much money you've got in your bank account. He just loves you and wants you to have the best. Amen? Is that what God wants for us? That is what God wants. So as in the ancient society, that they placed value on all the people that had the amazing things, all the things that they want to emulate, they just keep looking up that ladder and saying, that's where I want to be. I say, Jesus, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. I just want to serve you. And as I close my message today, I want to ask us all the question, which way are we climbing today? Which way are we climbing? It's a chance for us all just take stock of where our lives are at and ask the question, am I going up or am I heading down? Please stand with me. I want to pray for this church. Is that all right? I want to pray for this church because I believe God's got some amazing things to happen in this church. As I walked in, I felt it. 
And I know that um, it, it stems from vision. Without vision, the people perish. And there's a vision in this church to reach as many people as they can. And so in that vision, it's a mission. And there becomes submission under that. And so we submit to the vision. It's not about a man. It's not about a church. It's about a Jesus. It's about just one true leader, Jesus. Amen. Father, you're such a great father that you sent your son to give us purpose, to build a body, an army that will submit, that will come in submission to the plan that Christ gave. The mission was go ye out into all the world preaching that good news to every single nation and then making disciples of them. And so, Father, I pray for this church. I pray for Port Church. Its name means come and, you know, tie up here. I'm a port. It's somewhere where you come. It's a, it's a safe haven. And I love what the Spirit was this morning around peace. Shalom. Lord, let people sense the peace of God in this place. Lord, let them sense the very presence of God here. Lord, let them feel, Lord, the one anothering that comes from everyone that sits in this place. Every individual represented in this church today. Lord, I pray an anointing upon them right now. Lord, it's not fresh because you've always been anointing, but it, it's just a new thing happening upon them right now. Lord, let it be poured out in this place. Lord, I see, Lord, as you come and, and find the safe haven, as you come and rest and enter this place, then you're activated for mission. And I, I pray for the pastors and the leaders of this church. Lord, I, I know their heart. Lord, and I know you do as well, that the desire, Lord, that they have, the vision that they have. Lord, um, I, I love the fact that you're intergenerational. That it's not just about the people sitting. This could be the generation after generation that you're establishing right now. Because you're a God that, that just doesn't see the now. You see what was and what is and what is to come. You are sovereign over all things. And we pray that, Lord, whatever is purposed upon this place will find its fulfillment as you have promised. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. I speak Jesus into this place right now. And God, you are a faithful God. You never, never, ever have failed concerning your promises. And we thank you for your amazing love, your canopy that abides over every single one of us. I thank you in the name of Jesus. And all the saints said, 
Amen. Amen. And as you've heard, go do. Amen.